to The Mary Mack Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. friends. This is Mary Mack of the Mary Mack Show. I am so fortunate to welcome Rebecca Kiesling with me today. She is an attorney and an individual who you will find amazing for all that she has endured and all the activism she has developed for those who have been raped and impregnated by the rapist. She also had several children in her life, some she adopted, some she conceived and miscarried, but her two sons were killed by fentanyl, and we will talk about that as well. So I'd like to introduce Rebecca to you, and I'm grateful that she's here with me today. So thank you, Rebecca, for being with me. Thanks for having me, Mary. The qualifications, the things that you've done in your life, the sorrows that you've endured, I'm amazed that you're still standing. Mm. Truly, I mean, you're a remarkable woman. You have done so much for so many, all the while enduring the suffering that you yourself endure, even to this day. So would you tell us a little bit about your growing up years and your history and how you came to be involved with all that you have, especially in the pro-life movement. You speak to organizations um, about this. You also help victims of rape and make sure that their rapists do not get parental rights. There's so much we can speak about, but I'm gonna leave the floor open to you. Okay. Um, and jump in and ask me questions whenever, you know. Okay, great. Um, so I was adopted and um, I was six weeks old when my parents got me, um, which actually, you know, once I had children and six weeks went by, I realized like, wow, that's actually a long time. You know, and it's kind of weird to think, like, I have no idea where I was those first six weeks of my life, who took care of me. Um, the family that I was raised in, I had an older brother, and my adoption story was really infertility-centered. So mm -hmm. my parents didn't give me any kind of big picture foundation of why I was here, um, just sort of, you know, to meet their needs. And, um, you know, I knew that if they could have had biological children, like they wouldn't have wanted, you know, I was sort of second best last resort. And, um, you know, that Did you family feel that way. Right. Did you always feel that way? Um, you know, at a young age, I didn't realize I had a birth mother. Like they talked about adoption. Like I was just chosen and there was a room full of babies and they picked me up, um, I remember 
in elementary school, like lower elementary school, learning about pregnancy and thinking this doesn't apply to me because I wasn't born, I was adopted. In fact, I would cry to my parents and ask them, why didn't you adopt me first? Because my brother was a year and a half older than me, used to beat me up all the time. And I thought if I had been adopted first, I would be older than him. I thought you are as old as you are adopted, Mm -hmm. like not not born, you know. Um, And that family was was abusive. Um, My brother was extremely abusive he ended up being six six he was in and out of jail and prison most of his life wow. um, and he you know he started getting into trouble at a young age but my grandfather beat my grandmother there was like my dad was raised in that so there was a lot of chaos my mom was bipolar undiagnosed and unmedicated until I was 30 Oh, when, you know, we petitioned to have her committed and went through all of that. Um, and then my dad like broke my nose when I was in high school and, um, they were Jewish, although they lived as atheists. Um, my dad is a devout atheist, but Jewish identity. And I went to like five years of Hebrew school, three days a week. And I was bullied at school. You know, the Jewish kids didn't accept me. I was called a bastard and it was, you know, it was, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, when things were good, they were really good. When things were bad, they're really bad. So I can look back and see the good in my life. Like um, my parents were into health and fitness. So we ate healthy. I got to be in lots of sports and lots of activities. They valued education. You know, obviously I became an attorney. So, you know, I can look at those things. Like we would go for family walks my dad would do spelling bees with us. I played chess with my dad and we played, did a lot of board games and Scrabble. And my dad and I did, you know, New York Times crossword puzzle dictionary together. So, wow. I mean, there's like a lot of things. I that level, that's how I level. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's like a lot of things that they did right. Um, but then, you know, when things were bad, they were really bad. And how were your um, your your graduate school years when you were going through law school? Were you happy? Did you go away to school? Um, so I ended up in abusive relationships. Um, I actually like, you know, I wanted to meet my birth mother, and I learned at eighteen how I was conceived. And at 19, I met her and learned the horrible details. And even though she really wanted to meet me, she told me that if abortion had been legal, she would have aborted me. And in fact, later, years later, shared that she went to two illegal abortions and I was almost aborted, but she backed out because of the conditions, the fact that it was illegal. So she didn't go through with the process, but um, I struggled with those issues of just feeling completely forsaken by everybody. Sure. And, um, you know, the way I acted out, I my brother, he was doing drugs, you know, started smoking at a young age. And my parents didn't have alcohol in the house except for like the high holidays. But my dad, like, 
let him try beer in middle school like that was gonna show him that it doesn't taste good and my <laughs> brother said he was an alcoholic from that time forward and um he was like free basing cocaine and he tried to molest me um when he was high it was I mean it was it was chaotic and I didn't act out the way my brother did like I saw his example and that's not at all what I wanted to do but it was sort of like with dating you know trying to sort of find someone who would love me and ended up you know my own dysfunctional relationships and and I ended up in some abusive relationships and I was beat up by a boyfriend from law school he broke my jaw I eventually lost my front tooth um, later had my smile restored as part of the Give Back a Smile program for victims of domestic violence. Um, but I I had hit rock bottom. That's when I was invited back to church again and gave my life to Christ. And um, that really helped with, you know, so much of my issues, you know, learning what is my true identity, value, purpose, healed over like a lot of wounds. Um, you know, learning that, um, you know, I was, I'm not, the rapist is not my creator. God created in his image for a purpose, yes. for good, not for evil. Though yeah. my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Um, I decided I wanted to adopt, not second best last resort, but, you know, it's in the spirit of adoption that we're all called to be God's children through Christ. So I actually, I felt called to adopt, didn't know I would experience infertility at all. And I, and I did four years of, of infertility and oh. found a pro-life fertility doctor who doesn't do IVF or um, refer for abortions or any of that. It was very important to me, um, you know, not to go to a place that, you know, doesn't respect life. Sure. Um, I didn't want to go to somebody who, who destroys it you know, human life on a daily basis, like right. destroying embryos and things like that. So, um, but I, I, you know, I adopted, we adopted Caleb when we were only married a year and then um, also adopted Cassie. Um, she was born a month early. So six months after Caleb, just like that. And then we got Caleb's half brother and they were eight, um, 20 months apart. And then we had a foster child who we ended up having to, after two years, had to find a new home for her. We were going to adopt her, but she she was struggling, um, acting out with issues. We didn't know we knew how she had been abused. And so we actually had to find another home for her. And um, so it was like a lot. <laughs> I um, think so. All at once, they must have been all very young then. Yeah, yeah. And Kate, the, the foster child, she ended up being the oldest she was 20 months old so it was just like that it was a lot super fast and then um found this pro-life fertility doctor and got pregnant the first month um so uh and cassie our second adopted child was born with a serious genetic disorder and a doctor took off of oxygen when she wasn't ready to be and she stopped breathing she was resuscitated um a couple of times stop breathing again and then they couldn't keep her blood pressure up and we lost Cassie at 33 days old 
Um, so, you know, grief right away. Um, you know, definitely face, like, help me get through. Um, yeah, super horrific. Um, I, and I, I said, I don't know how people get through life, get through grief, like without face, you oh, know, my dad, my adoptive father was kind of a nihilist, you know, um, and to think that that's it, we're all kind of crash landing lights out that there's nothing more, just darkness. It's just, and that was kind of all my Jewish family it was kind of like that. You know, I remember when my aunt died and um, that was like, sh like shortly after Cassie died and they just like, um, I don't know, it's just really different. And my Jewish family who had mocked my faith for years at Cassie's funeral were saying, what you have is really special. Like, don't lose that. Don't lose your faith. Um, was this your aunt but, on your mom's side or your dad's side? On my, on my dad's side. It was my great aunt had died, my grandmother's sister. Hmm. And they, um, interestingly, were reading, you know, the... Um, the passage from Psalm, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know, and, and it says, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, and um, I will fear no evil, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, and then they're talking about their grandmother being in heaven. So all these like atheist <laughs> husbands and family members are like quoting scripture about you know, everlasting life. And that was really interesting. Um, yeah, I would think so. Because um, the one thing that I always uh, explain to people is all the ones who have had near-death experiences and come back to tell you about it. And I always believe that's God's way of confirming for us that I'm here. This is here for you when you're, when it's your time. Yeah. And that, you know, people say a lot of stupid stuff, though, like after losing Cassie, like, oh, well, at least you have other children. Or oh, at least yeah. you have Taylor. At least you have oh, Caleb. Yes, um, yes. Or you could have more. You could have more. And um, also, um, well, you know, she had a genetic disorder. So, you know, this is God's plan. And it's like you wouldn't, and I would tell people, you wouldn't say, if your child was murdered, if someone's child was murdered, you wouldn't say, well, it's God's plan. It's God's timing, you know, and there was malpractice involved. You know, the doctor screwed up like she shouldn't have died. So there was no kind of like peace that this just happened naturally. I mean, um, but I wasn't going to sue him. I'm an attorney. I know how that goes. I'm not going to go through mediation and have mediators saying well what was the value of her life what was her life expectancy how much money could she have earned in her life like I know how they do that how mm -hmm. they you know put a number on someone's life like I didn't want to go through all that so I didn't sue um 
But out of all the specialists that she had, like it was that doctor, she was the only one who didn't show up at um, her funeral. Yeah, I've got I've got one of my dogs in my lap. So if you wonder what's oh, going on, tell me. Um, so this this is actually a new dog because I we lost our other dog um, a few weeks ago, and this was kind of a great scenario. These two little girls, these two little doggies, they um, they're a year and ten months, and I had a friend who was going to breed them. Had started, she got three dogs and it it wasn't working out for her and so it's nice they're house trained and they're um they're like my you know my therapy dogs right mm -hmm. so they're sisters one's bigger than the other one's 17 pounds and this is Nellie and then Natalie is nine pounds oh nice names I like that yeah I didn't name them they're really the names are too close I think I think it's actually a problem. I don't think <laughs> I don't think Natalie knows her name, so we're we're gonna we're gonna go with Nat. <laughs> <laughs> try to train try to train her. Yeah, there's nothing more comforting than a dog. I think when you're grieving, I um I had two yep. dogs two dogs in my adult life, and both of them took me through some of the most difficult grieving periods in my life. And yeah. I was forever grateful to both of them. And I still miss both of them. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, Zorro had been, you know, Caleb was, he was like the alpha, you know, and Zorro actually started leaving the yard. Like he was looking for Caleb for a few, you know, yeah. for quite a while after we had to watch. And, um, it was like he wanted to know where he was. So, you know, he was he was old. He was 15 and a half. And he, um, Zorro took a turn for the worse. Like, all of a sudden, like, with a, he had, basically, it's like vertigo. And then he rebounded. And then, then things got, he, he had another episode. And then he couldn't even stand and couldn't. And it, we tried, we tried medication and, you know, Within six days, we had to take him to the vet. And gosh, doing that, it was horrifying because they explained the process and they said, you know, they're going to give him this injection. First, they'll put him to sleep, but then they would give him an injection. They said, basically, it's like we're going to give him an overdose and his heart will stop. And I oh. just said, can't be in the room for that so my girls stayed in the room and my ex-husband stayed in the room but I I had to leave I couldn't watch that but I I came in and he was I wish I hadn't seen ah uh, you know just thinking about my boys you know it's horrifying and you know dogs and pets are different um, oh, my boys, though, you know, were, were healthy and this was done to them. It should have never happened. And, you, you know, tell, do me their people. Names. tell me their names. Caleb and Kyler. They and had the they... same birth mother, you know, so we got Caleb from birth 
And we got Kyler when he was um, a year old, like right after his first birthday. His biological father had tried to drown him Ooh. when he was high on heroin. It, their birth mother, Nicole, was doing heroin during her pregnancy with Kyler. Oh and we were told that Caleb was conceived in rape. We were told that it was a date rape drug. She was 16. But she had already like been in a lot of trouble. She was at a rave party. She'd been kind of out of control. Her grandmother had sent her to stay with some nuns for a while, you know. Oh, wow. Um, she, but her, see, her, her mother had been a drug addict. The grandmother was like actually a pro-life activist. Um, the grandparents were. Um, but the their birth mother's mother was the oldest in her family and she had struggled with substance use disorder and had been using heroin and um and Nicole's father died when she was young. Um he died in his late thirties from um heart failure related to alcohol abuse and his father died in his 30s heart failure related to alcohol abuse so you know my boys grew up like hearing all the warnings about their birth family and how important it is never to experiment with drugs or alcohol and then my ex-husband like had become an alcoholic and um you know, the boys knew that he was drinking and hiding it and, uh, you know, passing out at night when I'm out of town speaking. And, and they're the ones who alerted to me when, when they were in middle school as to what was going on. Um, so, you know, I, I had tried, like the boys got more warnings than most people ever get. And then my I my I gave my ex husband the ultimatum and he he stopped drinking and he ended up getting involved in Celebrate Recovery at church and ended up heading up Celebrate Recovery but he was gone like gone three days a week with that and um I think he's like needed him a lot and um you know he he I think Caleb went once to Celebrate Recovery Kyler wouldn't go because it's like the rules there are that you have to want to go, right? So you can't just take them. Um, is this like an inpatient or is this uh, like a No, movie? it's just like, I don't know, maybe like AA, but they're, you know, sort of 12-step program type of thing is entirely faith-based. Okay. And there's, you know, kind of like a Bible study and you know, support and they share the stories and they have teachings and um and they have small groups, they have large groups and they have a mentor. So you meet with like a mentor once a week and you have the large group once a week and you have your small groups once a week. So it's like three days a week, but if you wanted, if you needed every day, you could go to other locations nearby. And he wanted to do something that was faith-based. Because I gave him an ultimatum, get into AA or, you know, I'm going to file for divorce. And, because he he had he had driven with the kids in the car on a couple of occasions. And yeah. So, um, and he never drank again. Interesting. 
Yeah. And he's, you know, in many respects, like I felt like he was an enabler. I mean, big time, you know, kind of like really passive um, with the kids and the marriage. And I will say now, you know, he's like learned from his mistakes and now he's taking people right to um, rehab. You know, people that are attending, you know, if they need help and they see that that they're like, you know, now he knows like the stakes that someone could die. So he's he's driving them to rehab and he knows where to take them. And he's they never had Narcan like training at Celebrate Recovery. Now they do Narcan training. Um, they have Narcan there. They you know what I mean? So he's he's learned i mean i've learned gosh there's so much like i didn't know you know when vaping started i didn't know what that was finding these cartridges i i had no clue what it was mm -hmm. you know like i don't know is this another kind of like um mp3 player like i had no clue what it was <laughs> you know so they were all different shapes they didn't all look the same like mm -hmm. what, is this a battery and that's what my boys would tell me that it's some electronic advice. Oh, this goes to my so-and-so. Oh, this is a charger. This is a, I, you know, I didn't know what vaping was when they were in middle school, but that was like their first drug. And now and, they say uh, that it's even worse than cigarettes as far as yeah. what, what can, what it can do to your yeah. lungs. And then they would tell me that, oh, it's just vape. It's water vape. It's water vape. And then you know, they did something at school in the middle school with the sheriff deputy on like vaping and educating parents. And that's when I learned like what this really is and what about the nicotine and how powerful. And um, it was like, I mean, the world changed so fast, you know, and then my, my son later told me that they started vaping on a visit with their birth mom. She, she had been clean for several years and so we started you know we had some contact with her and um was she still addicted at that point she she stopped doing drugs but she struggled with alcohol so like there was one visit we went and she was drunk and um they wanted to stay and hang out with their uncles so they had an uncle who was three years older than Caleb and he actually, um, he's the one who introduced them to vaping. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't realize that they struggled with addiction. And that uncle had been at their funeral and he died a month after my boys did. Also um, from fentanyl? Yes, but he was doing fentanyl on purpose. So he was found with a, a fentanyl patch on his arm. And then their birth mother died six months after that. Also from fentanyl? I don't know. Her mother won't say. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, we went to a funeral for the uncle and, and the mother kept saying, this is so horrible, losing my baby, losing my youngest, you know. Um, I can't imagine you, you lost two. I can't imagine what it's like losing two. She kept saying that. And then she did, you know, and then one of her other sons was also an addict and um, the oldest son stayed clear. He's 
la. Yeah, he wasn't the oldest son. He was actually the third child in their family, but he was he's he was clean. So um yeah. And how do you know or have you learned um how both of your sons were introduced to fentanyl or other drugs before? Yeah. So my son Caleb told me he'd been, you know, clean off stuff for a while. So and he was a brilliant child, just really brilliant. He, my my mother-in-law wanted to know when he was a baby, like, what words is he saying? How many words does he have? And he was 10 months old because I told her he talks a lot. He says a lot of words. And she asked me, oh, what words? So I started writing them down. He had 80 words. Wow. 80 words at 10 months old, clear as a bell. He could say octopus, you know, like that was one of his toys, like, and, um, you know, when he was 18 months old, it was 9-11. We'd been on a trip out West and we drove home and um, a week later went to a rally and they were playing all of the armed forces songs, like all the patriotic songs. They had the armed forces mentally. And we listened to all that in the car all the time. I had a patriotic CD for him. He was super patriotic. He wanted to go into the military and. Um, he'd been accepted into the Navy. He had a 90, um, on the, on the military test and which means 90th percentile. And that was a year and a half out of school without studying. And, um, and he told me he was high on marijuana when he did the test and he scored a 90. And so he, he, his life would have been set. I mean, he he would have had a really high pay right away. And the only job he couldn't have with a 90 was like nuclear engineer on a sub, on a nuclear sub, you know. But other than that, he could have had any career in the Navy. He'd always right. wanted to go into the, um, to, you know, to become a naval officer, go into the academy. He... Um, he had AP history in 10th grade and had it all planned out what he would take to, to go into the Navy. Um, and then things turned really fast, but going back to when he was, I'm scattered right now. I'm um, going back to when he was uh, 18 months old, we we're at this rally and he knew all the words to all the patriotic songs and he was belting them out. And, and people were looking saying, Oh, old is he yeah you know Tyler didn't start talking until he was three years old he only had like a few words and here's Caleb at 18 months old just speaking in full sentences and knowing all the lyrics all these songs it was, it was like freakishly brilliant um and Kyler Kyler was um a daredevil, fearless. He was, he climbed out of his crib in the foster home at 10 months old. Wow. And, and instead of getting him like a dome tent, like we did, where you zip it, you know, to keep, keep kids in their crib when it's not safe for them to be climbing out, you know? 
they had to make sure that he couldn't get hurt. So they actually put him in a car seat every night and strapped him in so he couldn't even roll over. Oh, which my is, goodness. Which is really dangerous for kids. I mean, my parents tethered my brother and they... And that's what doctors used to tell people to do. But there's studies that show that tethering is really detrimental to, to a kid's mental health and, and well-being. Um, they need to be able to roll over, you know, and, you know, they shouldn't be like sort of chained like a dog. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't even do that to dogs now, right? <laughs> you know, um, you put them in a crate where they can move. move. But yeah. uh, so he he did a lot of death-defying things from a young age and and you know Caleb learned to ride his bike at five Kyler learned the next day like three and a half years old and he didn't know how to stop <laughs> so it was trying to teach him to stop and not just crash was rough um he drank a bottle of Benadryl when he was young and and we had to get him, they gave him like charcoal at the hospital. And yes. then he then he drank a bottle of, of um allergy medication and um almost died. We by the time we discovered it, it was too late. Um it, his blood pressure was it was not good. And obviously he, he survived, but you know, we had to have locks on everything. He found where the key was, he climbed up. I mean, whew. He got a pickaxe when he was like, I don't know, five years old, four, four and a half. And he comes running in, I chopped my toe off, I chopped my toe off. And there was just blood everywhere and we had to get it stitched back up. And um, he would just do all of these things that he just was fearless. But it, it skateboarding, he could, he was unbelievable. I mean, he would go flying off these huge ramps and do flips and twists and you know he he was a gross motor kid he would never play Caleb was really into like Legos and intricate things and building and um and reading whereas Kyler he he couldn't focus I mean he definitely had ADHD but at a young age at, at three someone explained that it's um called um sensory integration dysfunction so we tried everything and got him therapy um with occupational therapy for sensory integration dysfunction because he his vestibular sense was out of whack he would um crash into walls oh, he'd wow. fall out of his chair all the time um he couldn't do like fine motor stuff struggled with that he um he couldn't, you tried to teach him A, B, C with flashcards and five years old, he was struggling, wow. you know, to recognize the letters and repeat it. And then, and then one day my, my mother-in-law was visiting from out of state and he's riding his bicycle outside on the patio. And she's doing it with my daughter, who's like, almost two years younger and she's doing a b c and one two three and my mother-in-law turns while he's riding and she goes hey kyler and he while he's riding he's like all of a sudden he recognizes it it's like it cleared the clouds away and he's like a b c like and he knew it because he was moving so yeah we worked on that kind of stuff and i homeschooled 
the kids. Um, when he, he got free preschool because he was like an at-risk kid. So with the government, um, you know, if you have one or more biological parents in jail, if you were drug exposed in utero, if you were abused, his biological father, like I said, was high on heroin and tried to drown him. He stopped breathing um, at nine weeks old. And he that's when he went into foster care. Um, so he met a lot of those factors. But the preschool teacher said it was the first time in the history of, of decades of teaching that a child paid attention to where she hid the fish food. And he climbed up and dumped it all in and killed all the fish. <laughs> you know, oh my he was just that's and he, and he was always so sorry and he would cry and cry and cry. Um, but he got into stuff, you know, we I joke that he was curious, George, messy Marvin and Dennis the Menace, like all wrapped into one, you know, and that he he was like not just all boy. He was like a boy on steroids. Like he just got into stuff and did stuff and was, you know, and and this is horrible now, horrible. But I used to joke that our goal as parents was to get him through his childhood, you know, without dying and without accidentally killing someone else. Because he did so many death-defying things and we had so many trips to ER. You know, and, and he was funny too. He was really funny. He made people laugh and he was full of joy. Um, he had the greatest giggle. <laughs> um, he was my number one helper. He loved to help. And Caleb, you know, Caleb was an introvert and, and Kyler was an extreme extrovert. So they shared a room. I'm actually in their room right now for, for a few years. I couldn't come in here and, and, um, my friend helped me. You know, he patched all the walls and repainted. And now it's like an office and guest room. And we can put a movie projector up and then it, you know, the kids will watch stuff. My daughters will watch stuff in here and bring their friends in. And it's become a place that we can, you know, enjoy. And I just think the boys would really like this room. They would think it's really cool. But Caleb wanted to move out of this room, like in middle school. He wanted to move to the basement, which I... Now I feel like that was a big mistake. Um, you know, it was just too isolating for him, I think. Um, I get that he didn't want a room with his brother, but I think they both kind of got into a lot of trouble on their own, like having too much privacy in a way. At one point, my ex-husband actually took the door off of this room and took the doors off the closet because of Tyler getting into trouble and hiding things and um yeah I was like the one I was always the bad guy the one going into their rooms and inspecting and finding stuff Caleb said it started with vape but then um quickly progressed they were putting other things inside the vape pens THC wow. and um and then in high school they were getting um 
you know, kids were doing marijuana. They had brownies. I found brownies. Caleb said he was a mule that other kids were paying him to bring it up. Like I go to the, I go to the sheriff deputy. I ask for help. He's like, don't bring that in or I'm going to have to make an arrest. I'm like, what happens if you make an arrest? And he's like, well, if your kids go to juvie, you have to pay. And here's how much it is a night. And it would be financially devastating. You know, I think there's no real option for parents. There is a state school I wanted to send Kyler to and the state would pay for it, but it had to be voluntary. And I'm like, my, they, my ex-husband took my son to the orientation, but, you know, I said to him, how do you think other parents do it? You make it where they volunteer, you know, you don't enable them, you know, you make it so they have to go. Yeah. As far as the state's concerned, it's voluntary, but the parents got to make it happen. You think all those kids are going there, all these at-risk kids who are struggling with substance use disorder all going there like voluntarily no you know and so we we were not on the same page with anything he was like you know even though they had chores cleaning day was Saturdays and so he wanted the house clean when he was home you know but the kids learned that they didn't have to listen to me didn't have to do what I said didn't have to do their chores and then when I would go in and find stuff I guy they'd swear at me and they'd say you know dad I don't care dad I don't care when he would undo whatever you know punishment I had they'd laugh um and you know I think any parent who's dealt with substance use disorder with their kids like they know there's some ugly times um uh he put a lock on our bedroom door so that I could lock up my purse like I was the problem and then when they stole my credit card and they kept finding ways to steal it, he he wanted me to have a locking wallet. And I just like flipped. And that I'm like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I filed for divorce. And I mean, at this point, you know, this is like nine, eight months, nine months before they died. Like, I didn't know what they were doing, but they were now stealing thousands, you know. And um, I found out from their girlfriend after from from Kyler's girlfriend afterwards that they had been doing cocaine at that point, and that they were saying like Kyler had been saying how expensive it was, and I'm like I I can't live like this I can't live knowing that I'm funding their habit and you're not doing anything like you know I beg him to take them to rehab, um, and. Uh, the boys got, I, I told them, I told my ex to move out and take the boys with you. And it, when I said I was filing for divorce, like he was looking for an apartment and then he, he got one, but he didn't move in with them. And I'm like, you can't leave them alone. They need you. And he's like, well, if you, you're for filing for divorce, I'm not leaving. And um, we negotiated our, our divorce. I'd been a divorce attorney and you know, I wanted to be good to him because he's, you know, the father of my daughters and, and my sons. And but, you know, he just he just left them in this apartment and they lost their jobs. And I don't know how they were surviving, what what was going on, but um they got in trouble and 
first my son got in trouble because I was told he was high on Xanax and he attacked my ex-husband and his brother and, and someone else and he got charged and um and then came to live with me because he needed a place to live and um then he um they got in trouble again because he he went back with his brother and um they apparently tried to get in the back door of a jewelry store and there was a camera and they didn't open the door. They just kind of jiggled it. They didn't like really try to break in, but, and then turned around and, and left and um, tried to open the truck door too. And you could see in the video I, that they were like under the influence of something. And the detective ended up telling me that my son told them that they were doing Xanax. Well, I have another family member in my family who does Xanax, who's on Xanax prescribed. Like, yeah, you don't, you don't die from anxiety. Xanax. No. no. Yeah. You don't, you don't die from Xanax. Like I thought my, my son told me it started in ninth grade. They were getting it. Kids were bringing pills to school from their parents, unlocked medicine cabinets. Right. And that's when he got hooked in ninth grade. He got hooked on pills, a bunch of different pills. And so like when my son Kyler had surgery for his knee, I told the doctor, no opioids. I mean, I knew, you know, Caleb had struggled. I knew their family history, no opioids. And um, I knew enough to be super diligent with that, knowing it could destroy people's lives. Like I didn't think it could kill you, but I knew it could like destroy lives. Right. And so this detective, he actually called me a week after my boys died to wish me condolences. I I had spent an hour with this guy. I made him, um, I, I made masks during COVID and I, I was, I'm a quilter. So I made him like, a law enforcement mask, oh, with law, law enforcement fabric. And, and I'm like, did you know that the Xanax on the street is not real Xanax? Like, I thought people are like, that it's the number one thing that people steal from houses. I thought they were getting it from somebody or somebody selling it to them from their parent. Like, I didn't know that they're getting something like on the street, like that's not even Xanax. Like I learned it's Xanax isn't Xanax. It's Tizalam, which is not legal in the U.S., but it's also not Schedule C. Like all this stuff, like I didn't know anything, but and and that Xanax. There's a lot of people whose kids die from fake Xanax that has fentanyl. Right. My boys died from fake Percocets. Um, that was all fentanyl. Had no Percocet in it. It's not laced. I hate the term laced. It's not laced. It was all fentanyl with some fillers and um and I asked him did you know about fentanyl did you know that like Xanax like those fake pills are not even Xanax and they have fentanyl in it kids are dying and he's like yeah I'm like did you know about Narcan he's like yeah and I'm like why did you tell me Wait, I spent all that time with you. You told me that my son told you that he was getting Xanax and he was getting it from Pontiac and he'd ride his bike. Like, why don't you tell me any of this? And he's like, 
I didn't think of it. And I just, I don't know, I just feel like my boys fell through the cracks in so many different ways. Um, they got, they went to jail. They got clean in jail. Immediately, my son Caleb just cried his heart out and just said to me, Mom, you're my superhero. He's like, you always cared. You were the one who always went in our room and found stuff and you cared. And he's like, you're my superhero. And he just said, Mom, please just don't abandon me. Just please don't abandon me. And I, you know, I feel like I did because I left it up to their dad to take them to rehab. And instead he took them to a motel, left them there, put the room and this girls, and I, I didn't even know that these young people were there when they arrived. I wonder when they, I found out all these young people were there. A 17 year old girl died with my boys. And uh, the drug dealer had overdosed. He was saved by Narcan. Turns out a month before he had overdosed and he was saved by Narcan. So he knew he was getting deadly stuff. And his girlfriend who had been there, she had overdosed a couple months before and was saved by Narcan. And it was drugs he had given her. Um, and I didn't know, like, when did all these young people arrive? You know, and it was five months later, the girl testified that the room was because you had to be 21 or older and that Mr. Kiesling, when he brought them all there, he knew they were all high and there to party and he didn't want to be liable for damages to the room. So he, want, he didn't want the room in his name and he paid for the room. And then when they, he made arrangements with my sons, he talk, last talked to them like one in the morning or something that they would talk first thing in the morning and he would pick them up and he he told them they were going to go look at this apartment that he was going to move in with Kyler. And um, now he was just kind of, I guess he was going to trick them and then just take them to rehab. Um, he didn't feel he could find a place at night to take them. Now he knows where to take them, that there's places you can take them at night, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but he was going to research it and take them somewhere the next day. But when he didn't hear from them, like, he didn't call me. He didn't say, I'm worried about them. They're not answering. He, he was across town working, so he didn't go. He didn't call the hotel, the motel. He didn't call the police to go check on them. Like, he just left the marriage. He got a call at five in the afternoon saying that they were dead. Mm -hmm. The girl, when she woke up, she had passed out from fake Xanax. And you see my boys, like, helping her. In the video, you could see them helping her down the hall because she was like messed up. And it was my two sons, not her boyfriend, the drug dealer, but my two sons helping her. And because um, that's the kind of kids they were. I mean, they we had their friends come over after the funeral and everybody was telling stories how they met them. And so many kids met them at the church group be because they were alone. And any kid who was alone, they brought them over. Other kids at school met them at the school dance because they were alone and my boys didn't want them to be alone. So they brought them over. So they like, you know, they were loving, kind kids, Big you know, hearts. to all those other kids. Big and um, yeah, and so they, you know, there they were helping her, my two sons and her, she's in the middle. 
and I saw that footage. But when she woke up the next morning, she called a friend, and I know this because my son's friend was friends with this girl and told them what happened. And um, so she woke up, saw them all dead, called her friend and said, oh, my gosh, they're all dead. And her friend said, you have to call the police. Neither one of them called the police. Oh, my goodness. She, she went and got breakfast. She went back. She washed her hair. Oh, um, and then until the girl's parents, like the girl was missing. She lied about where she was. The other girl who died, um, she lied about where she was to her parents. And so they were able to track her phone finally. And like, you know, just before five, the girl saw the police there. And so she goes in and she's like, oh, there's a girl with that name in my room. She takes them up to the room and she doesn't come out. And then they start banging on the door and she finally comes out crying. But she just let them die. Like, and that's a lesson. Like these kids think like, so many other parents in the support groups I've met who lost their kids. These kids think they're partying with their friends. Like they're not your friends. They don't care about you. They're just going to leave you to die. She knows about Narcan. She was saved with Narcan. Her boyfriend was saved with Narcan. She knows Narcan can save their lives and she just lets them die. But the, um, the police gave a plea deal to the drug dealer um, because after that girl's testimony, they felt that any jury would blame my ex-husband more, that he should have been the responsible adult. And so instead of serving um, 25 to life in prison for what's a capital offense, in Michigan, we have a drug-induced homicide law that's strict liability. If you provide a deadly, a lethal drug to someone and they die, it's a capital offense. Um, instead, he was given a plea deal and he's serving eight to 15 years for killing three people, three kids. Um, the girl was uh, 17 years old. Tyler was 18 and Caleb was 20. And, you know, when he, when he, um, you know, my ex-husband called me, like, it was like nine at night. And I just screamed. I'm like, both? Both? You know, I called her birth mother. I called. She had bailed Caleb out. Bailed. Okay, so they both had gone to jail. They repented in jail. Caleb immediately, you know. The whole thing of you're my superhero and all of that. And just please don't abandon me. And he's like, when I call, he just please leave me. Don't talk to me every day. But yeah, you know, it was COVID. We weren't allowed to visit, right? So it was calls. And um, Tyler, it took him. And, and Caleb, Caleb wrote out his testimony when he was in jail. He said he wanted to start speaking in schools and in churches and tell kids why not to do drugs. Oh, wow. And um, we found it the day after he died. It was really powerful, really powerful. Um, he was quoting scripture. Kyler was like, a, Caleb was a Bible whiz. And they they went to Awana when they were young, so they learned a lot of a lot of Bible verses and. 
um, the church they went to did so when he in youth group, kids were like amazed that he knew the Bible so much. And, and you know, I homeschooled them till Caleb was, was in seventh grade. So, you know, they were raised in a Christian household. Um, and he read tons of books and all the books I had were, you know, really, you know, character books, Christian books, like all kinds of things like that. And so, you know, he had, he had a noble character, you know, he did like growing up, um, teachers called and from their middle school, their high school, both of them, their teachers said that even after that, that those kids had manners, they knew how to treat people. And they said that even when they no longer had them as their student, they said not a day would go by that they wouldn't pass my classroom and say, hello, Mrs. So-and-so, how are you today? I'm like, wow, that's just how, you know, that's just how they were. And they said, you don't see kids like that anymore. You could tell that they were raised right. Everything changed so fast. It changed so fast. It's just mind boggling. Um, anyhow, Kyler. So Caleb, Caleb was doing a Bible study while in jail. He was doing celebrate recovery actually while in jail. And um, they were both trustees. You know, they saw their birth mother in the women's side and then oh, talked to My goodness, to in the same prison? Yeah, she had been in, they were told by the sheriff deputies, oh, yeah, we know Nicole. She'd been in there nine times in 18 years. So she had a lot of drunk driving. And Tyler actually called her when he got out. Caleb, they, he, they hadn't seen her in like five, six years. And they were upset with her. Um, and... Like when her dad died, she called me and said that she's going to give them both $500 and she didn't like never heard from her again. Anytime I'd hear, she'd call me, but she'd call drunk all the time. And um, so when Kyler got out, she said, um, yeah, I didn't want to do probation. I just wanted to serve my time. You know, she's like, F that. So now I can just, you know, get out and smoke weed and do what I want because I'm I don't have to do any drug testing. Oh my goodness. Like, wow, this is what she's teaching him. You know, not not cool. And uh Caleb was upset that Kyler was talking to her. He's like, I want nothing to do with her. Anyhow, um, but Kyler, so two weeks in, he got clean. Like I had to block him from calling me because he would just swear at me. He wanted me to bail him out. It was $8,500. I'm like, I'm not bailing you out. You're like $8,500 each. And um, I'm like, you need to be there. Like, you're get, you're clean. Like, just get clean. Get. And then he was furious. I went, what kind of a mother just mail her kid out? <laughs> and The kind of one's so, the best for them. Right, right. And I'd always told them that my parents were enablers. The way I saw the way they handled things with my brother, you know? And I wasn't going to be an enabler. So, um, and my ex couldn't do it now because of the divorce. Like, so it was, you know, he couldn't just do it. And he went to either for that kind of money. We just didn't have that kind of money anyway. Um, 
So Tyler got clean two weeks out and he called from someone else's phone. I'm like, who is this calling from the jail? And he's like, mom, it's me. He's like, please don't hang up. And he's like, mom, it's all out of my system now. He said, even the vape. And he's like, my skin's clearing up everything. He's like, I feel so much better. And he's like, and then he starts crying. And he's like, mom, I'm in here with people with the worst childhoods. People who had, you know, parents on drugs, beating them. Um, people who lived in, in, in terrible neighborhoods, full of drugs, parents in and out of jail and prison. And he, and he said, mom, I had the best childhood. He said, you raised me right. He said, I have so many great memories. We did all kinds of, we went to all kinds of cool places and all kinds of fun things. And he said, I'm so lucky you adopted me. Wow. Wow. And um, he apparently had written out 17 point goals for his life. And we found that too the day so we have both of those and they both wanted to be free you could see from their writings they both wanted to be free and um caleb you know i was worried about him because he wasn't it was coven and he was supposed to be working they had opened the restaurants back up his sister went you know sisters went back to work but he he wasn't and you know again i felt like his dad and I weren't on the same page. Um, my boys were both saying, why should we work? We're getting paid more than we would. Oh, the way they got out, by the way, was there was this liberal organization called Michigan Liberation that won a lawsuit against the jail. And they were bailing people out. If they could get a judge to reduce bond to 1500 they would bail them out. And I said, please don't. I'm like, my boys... <laughs> They're, they're doing okay. Like, leave them. They need to be, they're happy. They said they don't want to do probation. They just want to serve their time and just stay clean and then get out and start their lives. And um, the judge reduced the bond. So when, when they, you know, you have these pre-sentencing people calling and I'm telling them, please, please don't, you know, don't let them out. Please, they need, they need, they need rehab. They need and anyhow, Kyler didn't get rehab. He They gave him tether and he went to live with a kid who had been a foster child who had aged out of the system. And so this guy, his kid had like free housing. So he went and stayed with him. But he was a kid who I knew struggled with substance use disorder. <laughs> and um, Caleb was going to come stay with me. But first he went, they sent him to rehab, but it wasn't re real rehab. It was um, a flop house. It was a halfway house. It was like the places my brother went to years earlier in Pontiac, Michigan. And they just renamed themselves rehab so they could get federal, state, and county money sure. by calling themselves rehab. And um, there was nothing about it that was rehab. They were able to go for walks in the neighborhood every day. We're in a drug infested neighborhood where people would buy drugs when they were out walking. Um, the only thing that could 
even remotely be considered therapy was they had group sessions where they didn't have to talk. They could just sit there, which is what Caleb did. Like it was a rehab. I thought he was going to get real rehab. What a waste of money to think that we have all those federal dollars that are going to that. Yeah. You know, and it's just insane. Um, and then my ex-husband arranged for my son to, for Caleb to get a car because they had all this money from the government from, for COVID, right? So all of a sudden he had money, which I told him to control the money. So my ex-husband controlled Caleb's money. I didn't know he wasn't controlling Kyler's money. So Kyler was using his money from the government to pay for drugs. And um, Caleb used this car. He, Bob was out of town with the girls out of state. And so I was home alone with Caleb and Bob arranged for his friend to bring him over this car. And um, I was gone that morning and within 20 minutes, Caleb crashed it. He, he had gone and gotten drugs crashed the car and so it was like a fender bender kind of thing and then um I could see clearly Caleb's on drugs again and um I was scared and I he he asked me to just get him um I told Bob come right home you know and I, he wanted me to get him his favorite food. I was like, okay, just stay in with me. Don't go anywhere. We're just going to stay home. I'm going to stay with you. And um, begged him to tell me what he was doing. And he he said nothing. And then he said, well, it's marijuana. And I'm like, are you doing Xanax? Are you doing Xanax? And he's like, no, it's marijuana. Kyler's on the phone. Kyler's saying, mom, it's just pot. It's just weed. Don't worry. You know? And, um, but his eyes didn't look right. And he said, just, okay, get me, get me this food. So I went and got his food. And then he was sitting in the, in his car, in the driveway vaping. And I thought, well, what's he doing in his car? I'm like, oh, he's vaping. I'm like, okay, well, he knows he's not supposed to vape in the house. So, all right, he's in the car. And then I, um, I get out of my car and all of a sudden he pulls out of the driveway and he goes up into the neighbor's yard in his car. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, you're going to get yourself killed. You're going to kill somebody. What are you doing? Stop, stop. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. And I could see he was trying to get in gear, but he was like delirious. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to hit me. And so I backed away and he just took off and um, called him. And then he said, he's going to his friend's house. Who's like lives close, his best friend. And so I call his best friend. And I told him when he gets there, take his keys, you know? And um, because I didn't know what else to do. Am I going to chase him down? It's like the police aren't going to get him by the time he gets, you know, to his friend's house. And we had already called. It's saying that he was violating parole, that both boys are violating parole. Like they're not doing their drug testing. They're not working. We wanted them back in jail and they're violating their probation, not parole. And the probation department said, we're aware that they're violating, but um, their hearing is set for September, like mid-September. So like two months out, it was COVID. 
They didn't want to pick anybody up. They didn't want anybody in jail. Okay. They wanted them all out. So he, um, his friend calls back and he's like, he never showed up. He's not here. And I, and so I call Caleb again and clearly he's not driving. I can tell. And he said, oh, I'm sitting here. He said with another friend of his, Noah. And, um, and, he, and I'm like, okay, you should not be driving. You cannot drive. You know, just let me talk to Noah, put Noah on the phone. And then he hangs up the phone. Well, then I call Noah and Noah said, I haven't seen him in like four months. You know, oh, um, my goodness. he's like, I, Caleb's mad at me because I wouldn't drive him to go get drugs. And he's like, I'm not going to drive you to get yourself killed. And I'm like, I didn't ask like even what he meant by that, but he um he had struggled with drugs when he was 13 and he'd been clean since that age. So I knew he's like super anti-drugs and and he's like, he's not, you know, coming to see me. He's he's gonna go, he's going to see his brother. And they're not supposed to see each other. They have it's part of their probation. Oh, they're not wow. supposed to see each other. And um Caleb won't answer, you know, and then a couple hours later, I get a call and he's been arrested. He was under the influence. And I'm like, are you hurt? Did anybody get hurt? Did you crash? No. I'm like, oh, thank God you're safe. And he's like, bail me out. It's $150 bond. And I'm like, what? And, and he had been crying earlier in the day saying, I need to be in jail. I need to go back to jail. I can't do it. I can't do probation. I just need to go back to jail. I'm like, what are you doing, Caleb? What's going on? I'm crying. And, um, you know, what's going on? Just tell me what's going on. And that's when he just said, oh, it's just marijuana. And he's like, but I need to go back to jail. I can't do it. And so I'm like, thank God you're safe. You're going to go back to jail. You're okay. And um, anyhow, he's upset with me because I'm like, no, I'm like, how could they give you $150 bond? They know you violated probation. Again, judge didn't care. The, the magistrate didn't care. They don't want anybody going to jail. It's the middle of COVID, you know, the peak of, right? Right. That summer, 2020, July, 2020. And, um, how could they give you only you know, $150 bond? Are they crazy? And so I told Bob what's going on and like, don't bail him out. And he's like, of course not. Then Kyler starts calling, swearing at me. What kind of a mother doesn't bail her kid out for $150? Like, what's the man, what, what the F is wrong with you? And, and um, you know, he can't because he's on tether. So he can't leave to go bail his brother out. So then I get a call from their birth mother. Kyler had called the birth mother and she's swearing at me. Oh my God. And I said, please do not bail him out. Please do not bail him out. Caleb was crying. They, they're safe now, please. She did. Oh Caleb hadn't seen her in five, six years. She bailed them out. So when they died, she knew. She knew. And she struggled with that. And she called me crying. Uh, 
Um, then a few days later, they both called to apologize. Caleb came back to stay with me. Tyler um, apologized for swearing at me. They called me on my birth. The key called me on my birthday, July 22nd. So it was 10 days before they died that Caleb had been arrested. You know, and he, he would have still been alive. I would have made sure when he got out that he would have gone straight to real rehab. Um, Tyler got off tether the day before they died. And um, again, it was clear that Caleb was doing drugs again. He had posted something on Snapchat with drugs, with pills. And um, his cousin alerted my daughter and my daughter told me and we're, we were all afraid like of having him in the house because we knew that he could be violent if he was doing what we thought was Xanax. And so I asked my my ex-husband to pick him up and to and at the same time, Kyler was freaking out because he was getting off tether and he finished school. He graduated from school that day. He did online school to finish. And um, the, the foster kid who he had um, been staying with had a caseworker visit that day, checking up on him and said, what are you doing here? Saw him on Tether. I'm like, you, he's, she's like, you can't be here. You're not allowed to be living here. Right. You know, and so Kyler's freaking out. He has no place to stay. And so, and he was clearly doing drugs again because he could, he would get frantic. You know, he was on drugs. And so Bob said he was going to pick them both, you know, go get Kyler, take Caleb. And Caleb comes to me and he says to me before he he left, he packed his stuff. And he says, you know, what's this mom about you tripping on me? You know, and they used to talk like that, that kind of like, you know, rap kind of talk. Like, and I'm like, you guys were not raised in the hood. Like, you guys are from right. Ancestor Hills, Michigan. Like, why do you talk like that? If you actually like went, like you can get yourself hurt, you know, go go around talking like that, acting like that's who you are. Like, what are you doing? You know? But at any rate, when he when he said it that day, instead of like, you know, saying, What are you doing? You know, I I just said, Caleb, I'm really worried about you. I said, a lot of people are worried about you. And I started crying. And he immediately changed his demeanor. And I threw my arms around him and I said, I love you so much. And he says, I love you too, mom. And then I said it again. I said, I love you so much. He said, I love you too, mom. And those were our last words. I'm going to pause there. Next Sunday is part two of our conversation with Rebecca, where she delves into her intense grief after having lost two of her sons on the same evening to fentanyl poisoning. She will also tell us about her activism in the fentanyl awareness community. And she also talks about her work with women who have been raped, have been impregnated, and who go on to provide another family a beautiful child through adoption. So I hope you'll join us then. And please do subscribe to whatever channel you are listening to us on. Very important so that we can bring more awareness about fentanyl poisoning.
to all those who need to hear it. Bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.